Amen. Well, good evening, Calvary. We're glad that you are here. Um, I just loved hearing you sing back there. Tonight's obviously a little different if you're listening on the podcast or uh, catch, catching up later online. Um, this is the night before a party at the park. So it's Saturday night worship. We've got a packed house here. We're glad you're here. Um, and I'm excited about what God is going to do. So we're going to sing even more at the end. I'm actually going to keep this sermon a little bit shorter because we have kids in the room, and so they would like to sing a little more. So we're going to try to do that. We're going to rejoice and celebrate what God is doing. But before we do that, I want to piggyback kind of off what Charles, Pastor Charles Walter preached on last week. And I hope you enjoyed um, hearing uh, Charles come and speak. He's become a good friend of mine. And I listened online, and you can always catch up at yourcalvary.info. But one of the statements that really stood out to me and what he talked about last week was this statement. If our homes in heaven were dependent on how many people we have helped follow the Lord, many people would be homeless in heaven. <laughs> Welcome to Saturday Night Worship. <laughs> but I want to give a counterthought. I want to give a counterthought to that and kind of piggyback off this, and I want us to wrestle with this truth and struggle tonight. If we knew... If you knew that your life would be better in heaven or on earth because of how you lived out your witness, because of how you discipled people, some of us would be very good at evangelizing. Get to share your faith? You win a new car! Sign me up, right? Go out and help disciple someone? You get an extra $10,000 in your house budget. You live out for Christ as, as everybody should. And guess what? You get abundant friendships with no drama. <laughs> Sign me up for that. The truth is we wrestle with what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And as I look in the mirror, I'm always asking myself, Daniel, do you really get this? Do you really, or are you fooling yourselves into thinking you're living out better than you are? Our scripture tonight is found in John 13. I'm just going to read the first four words of John 13, verse 31. Then I'm going to skip down to verse 34 and 35. The verse 31 starts with, And when he had left, Jesus said, and then he talks about how God is Jesus. And those are incredibly important verses, but I'd have to explain it for a longer time. So I'm going to just say that for another day. He's talking about how Jesus is going to be glorified through himself. I'm not going to be here longer. So here's what I want to leave with you. Verse 34. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A command, right? Oh, good. That's much easier, loving, because it's, I mean, I, I just got to love, right? Love is God has loved me. How hard can that be, right? How do you quantify if you're loving well? How do you measure I mean, if you say don't murder anyone, got it, right? Check, didn't murder anyone this week. Good job, follow that command. How do I know if I have loved well? See, we're going to party at the park tomorrow. Great day. But let us not get confused to why we're doing this. We do want to be known 
as loving, right? The church wants to be known as loving. Uh, we want to have this idea, but here's something to wrap our mind around. Loving others unconditionally is countercultural. It's not the way the normal society works. Now here's the other part of that. We know we are supposed to love unconditionally, but do we? Yeah. Okay, let's not make it personal. Let's make it about the church, which should be personal, but probably won't be as personal. Because I can feel like I'm doing a good job and the church is just doing a poor job, right? So let's just ask ourselves this question. Tomorrow at Party at the Park, we're going to set up a little uh, Snoopy and Linus kind of booth at the Charlie Brown kind of booth. I don't know where I got that reference. It just came out of the air. And sorry if it doesn't make any sense. But we're going to set up a little booth and we're going to have a, a poll there and somebody's going to come and say, tell us what you really think about Christians. And we're going to write down every, we're not actually doing this by the way. Don't worry about it. <laughs> because someone's like, no, I don't want to know. And at party at the park, we would probably get a better response, but some of the responses you know would be like, Woo! now, let's say we go up to the gas station. Let's say we go to crew car wash, as Pastor Charles referred last week. Let's say we, we go up and we ask a random person on the street who may or may not go to church, and we say, what do you think of when you think of Christians? And I dare say that nine times out of ten, the first word out of their mouth will not be loving. In fact, I would dare say eight times out of ten, the words are something more along the lines of hypocrites, political, conservative, naive, rule followers, hateful, and even the exact opposite of what we want to be, unloving. And when we hear that, here's what we do. We go, man, those other Christians just don't do it right, do they? <sighs> oh, Christians! Because if we were asked the honest question in our own heart, are we loving? We think we are, but those other people, even though we know that claim to follow Christ, some of them may be even sitting in this room next to you, sit there and they go, well, they're not very loving and they're thinking the same thing about you. Welcome. <laughs> We're going out for ice cream, right? Oh, we have our excuses. Here's our excuses to how we're loving. If we're really asking ourselves, okay, if we really could and round the corner into going, okay, maybe I'm not as loving as I think, but, but here's my excuses why. I love those that I can. Nobody can love everybody. Good. Uh, they aren't interested in loving me. How do you know? Well, no one is perfect but Jesus. I've got to get my life in order before I'm able to love. And one of these days, and then my favorite, I'm not Jesus. Basically, back off, preacher. Life's heavy enough. But what if we put aside the excuses and we saw what Jesus really asked there? What did he ask? Love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. And I don't know about you, but I sit there and I go, ah! 
I can't be perfect. Jesus was perfect. And, and the weight of that, and I sit there and I go, God, give me the four-step sermon on how to love. You know, a good sermon would have an L-O-V-E in this example of loving. And, and so you come up with that. And, I, and help me to, fo- I, if I just know the, but once again, how do you measure if you are loving well? I want to free you of something real quick especially for the perfectionists in the room who are always sitting there going, man, I'm always falling short. And I want to really get to the heart of what his command was really about, I believe. You see, the command to love others as Christ loved us is less about being perfect and more about loving others for where they are in their journey. That's a beautiful thing. It's not, I'm going to love you once you get it figured out. It's not, I'm going to love you because you look like me, talk like me, and you know which words you're supposed to say, which words you're not supposed to say. You know what I mean? When we get this, it's freeing, but yet scary and real because it's hard to quantify if we're doing it well. Another reason it's scary is, well, people will not always appreciate your attempt to love them. Love them anyways. You know how the world showed the gratitude for Jesus, loving them unconditionally? They murdered him. Great gratitude, right? But I want to go back to what started this passage. And I think here's how we know if we are loving well. Verse 31, here's what it says. When he had left. Who's the heat? That would be one Judas Iscariot who would have gone out to betray Jesus. And some of you are very astute and you're like ahead of me and you're going, so once Judas left, then he gave them the command because they knew Judas wasn't able to carry out the command. No, I think he was saying when he left, love as I loved, how I have loved Judas I think John's very intentional in talking about that in his gospel. How I have loved Judas is how you are to love. How did he love Judas? He had just gotten through washing his feet. Now here's the God of this universe, the one who, who counted the stars and placed them in their place, the one who made the, or, the, the beauty of the rainbow, the one who carefully wove together you in your mother's womb, the one who knew you before you were even a thought in your grandmother's, 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 grandmother's eyes, right? And here he is washing his feet in the form of a servant and a slave, to a person who would betray him, and he knew it. How do you know you're loving well? When you're willing to love in a way that isn't of your own self. And here's the problem. We're not good at it. We join churches that are convenient for us. We love the people in the churches that think like us. We we want to be in groups of people who, who understand us. We want a, this idea of everybody feels like I'm something. I am of value. And, but here's the problem. This isn't the only passage in the scripture where Jesus talks about loving in an unusual way. In fact, he says, love your enemies. 
In another passage, he says in verse Corinthians, right? If you do not have love, you are nothing. Can you walk on water? Great. You're nothing if you don't love. Can you heal the sick? Yeah. Can you make 5,000 elephant ears? Yes. If you do it with a bad attitude, you are nothing. In all the booths, not just to put it on the elephant ears, because honestly, that line gets backed up. That's a hard booth to do. Grease is spattering. It's hard. I mean, you just sit there going, oh. But even in that, you know what sometimes we do? Man, God sure better be happy with me because grease is spattering on my arms and I'm serving these ungrateful people. Or maybe just maybe you're walking around and somebody sits there and they're a hundred deep and they sit there and they go, why don't you have a fast pass line for this? And you're like, you ungrateful little person. Or maybe just maybe they go, no cotton candy this year? Come on, you had cotton candy last year. By the way, there's no cotton candy this year. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. The thing was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> There's whole people who lost arm hair for weeks because of that machine. <laughs> and what we so do is we sit there and we go, I'm serving God, so where is the love? Now, here's what I want you to wrestle with. Because how do we love the ones that we don't really want to love? And that's how we know that we're doing it. Well, he says it starts by knowing that you love each other well. Do we? And then beyond that, here's what I really want you to see. In order to really love everyone well, you have to put aside one word that we don't like to talk about all the time in the church, that we do all the time in the church, and we're actually really masterful at it. The word is judging. Judging each other. Oh, it's very innocent judgment. It's ultimately, um, I'm better than you, and I just want you to know it. I give more money, therefore... I worked harder at party at the park than any of these people. I'm holier than these. These people haven't found Jesus. And we don't even know we are doing it. We practice judgment with our friendships. You're not good enough to be my friend, but I want to be in that group. We practice judgment all the time without even knowing it. But what would it look like if we were so revolutionary to actually do what the Bible asks us to do? And that is this. We are to leave the judging to God. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for what's right. It doesn't mean we don't decry what is wrong. It means that we understand we are going to speak truth, but we are going to leave the emotion of casting judgment to the God who made the person who's judging. And we are not going to look people in the eye and have a self-righteous, arrogant, pious attitude that says, hey, if the whole world would just think like I think, everybody would get along. Anybody? Think about the way this works in your friendships. Aren't you tired of feeling like everybody's judging you? So what you're doing is judging them for judging you, right? 
And like a dog chasing its tail that caught it, it wouldn't know what to do. We chase the circles of judgment and we come around and we justify it. If I'm not really thinking what you're thinking and if I'm not trying to understand how to go and if I'm not sitting here trying to figure out how the best, and we even do it as a church, what's the best way that our church can present ourselves in the best light so that no one can stand up and say they don't love Jesus? Here's the thing. Jesus is controversial. But he's loving. And Jesus doesn't really need us to carry the burden of judging each other. What about righteous anger? What about it? God's got it, you don't. Think about it. When was the last time you were angry and righteous? Email me. I'd love to hear the story. I'm not even asking you to email Drew. Email me. And then I'll lovingly show you why you weren't. And what would it look like if we became the representation that was actually the cultural? What would it look like if we weren't the people who sat out there and judged everybody but loved them? And we said, here's the truth. Because I love you, I'm going to show you the truth. And this may be wrong, and I'm going to, but I love you anyways. What would it look like if we really loved well? I want to give you a quote. Oh, before I do this, I want to say this. Um, And if you want to screenshot a slide, this might be one to do. But here's what it says. Our judgment of others ultimately comes from a need to validate our own self-righteousness. And in doing so, we are not only judging others, but we are bringing judgment onto ourselves. (laughs) Did you get it? The moment you judge, you're bringing judgment on you. That sounds like fun. I want to be judged. I want all of you to judge me all the time. I want to know exactly how I'm failing. Oh, don't worry. Sometimes people tell me. Some of you are better at it than others. And that's okay. Because my job isn't to carry the weight of what you think about me. My job is to point you to the loving God who loves me. When I fail at that, I'm sorry. Because sometimes I'm Judgy McJudgerson too. And we all are. But let's lay aside our judgment, our self-validation, our longing for someone to find peace with us, and let's just show them Jesus. I want to read a quote from the book called Unoffendable, which is written by a um, radio disc jockey. I believe his name is Brian, but his last name is Hanson. Here's what it says. We cling to our self-righteousness and can't imagine giving it up. Wait, we're supposed to surrender the idea that we know other people's motivations? Do you ever sit there? I know what they're thinking. Surrender it. You don't. We're supposed to live without constantly assessing where we are ourselves and how we stand spiritually. Am I better than you? Am I worse than you? We can't even imagine the world could look that way. This is our way of life. What would it look like if we laid that life down? You see, we are not to love for our own self-righteousness. And I think a lot of times that's what we do. Hey, I gave to benevolence. 
I'm good. I'm self-righteous. I'm holy. No, we give to benevolence because he is holy. We don't go out and paint faces at party at the park with a bunch of kids who are going to cry and three minutes later are going to tell you you did it wrong. Because we want to feel good about ourselves. We do it because they need to know the God that we have found. And so we need are not to love for our own self-righteousness. We are to love because we have received love. Have you received that love? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let's be honest, it's a Saturday night crowd. Most of you probably do. But some don't. I guarantee in a room this size, some don't. Maybe you lived your whole life trying to earn your right to be in the presence of God. You can't. So God loved you unconditionally for your mess. And when we repent and say, God, come in. And we choose to follow the love that he's given and we love others as he has loved us, then it it shows we understand the gospel. If you've never done that, would you go by the next step space out here and let us talk to you afterwards? Maybe you can be following up with baptism in a few weeks like we had to start the service tonight. But for the church, I simply want to ask you this. I want you to be honest with yourself Are you living a life of judgment? And instead of a Monday application this week, Monday morning application, we're going to give you a Sunday afternoon application. I don't know why. But here's what it is. Ask God to help you see people as he sees them. You don't even have to read the rest of it if you don't want to. If we just did that, it would be life-changing. As you wake up in the morning, God, help me to see people, not just at the party at the park, but at the gas station on the way to the park. The person who's going to serve you ice cream tonight. The person who's going to be at the pickleball court and throws their paddle down and throws a little fit. Ask you to see them as God sees them. Repent from your judgmental thoughts. And love as he had loved. And watch as all your relationship dynamics change. Watch as your marriage dynamic change. Because let's be honest, sometimes our harshest critics are our spouses. And when they judge us, what do we do? Oh yeah? I'll show you judgment. Don't, that was not literal, by the way. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> I repent. <laughs> Please don't judge me. What would it look like if we really loved the people in our life the best we could? What would it look like if we didn't judge our friends? What would it look like if pe- people would sit there and go, boy, I need that. What is it? It's Jesus. Who's on board? No one answered. Let's try this again. Maybe you just go a whoop or a yeah or a uh uh-huh or I don't really want to do this. You can't judge me. (laughs) Who's on board? Less. I love it. Yeet. Less change the world loving as he has loved us so God use us take us be with us help us to know how to set aside the fears of people judging us so that we can receive the love that you've given us help us to set aside the fears of really knowing what it means to abandon everything for the sake of following you God, give us your eyes 
and help us to find a way to love when we, we don't feel like it. And when we fail, remind us how we fail you. And through the pain of that, help us to be broken before you and drawn back and how good and loving and kind and holy you are. Be our peace. Be our joy. Be our love.